don't know uh, if you've ever heard the word you catastrophe not catastrophe but you catastrophe that's not y-o-u catastrophe that's e-u catastrophe it's not a common word it's a very rare word but it's a word which means uh, the sudden and favorable resolution of seemingly catastrophic events into a happy ending. If you want some examples, uh, imagine your little boy uh, sitting, or a little girl for that matter, uh, sitting outside the headmaster's office and you're uh, waiting for the reprimand and the detention when suddenly there's news. Uh, the headmaster's had to leave. And it's the first day of the summer holidays tomorrow, so you'll probably have forgotten by the time you go back to school. There's a sudden change in your fortune. What seemed to be a catastrophe has now been turned upside down. Or perhaps you're outside the doctor's office and you've had bad news and uh, you've had a bad diagnosis, but then you walk into the doctor's office and he says, there's good news, there was a mistake. Uh, we gave you the wrong piece of paper. That wasn't your diagnosis. We've had your true diagnosis, and it's, it's clear. Again, what seemed like a catastrophe has now turned into a happy ending. Or well, imagine you're in an army, and you're surrounded by the enemy, but suddenly there's a light uh, on the hill, and the soldiers look up, and you see reinforcements have arrived. You thought the end was nigh, but now there is hope because there's another army on the hill. Well, that's what eucatastrophe is. And that is what is described in the chapter, or the chapters, that we have just read in Zechariah. Uh, you'll remember in previous weeks, we've seen how the nation of Israel, or Judah, in fact, is back in the land. Uh, they're rebuilding the temple, but they're surrounded by enemies. Uh, they're surrounded by people who hate them in the north, in the south, and to the east as well. And they are battling constantly with these forces which hate them and want to do them harm and want to prevent them from building the temple. And they're starting to tire from the, uh, uh, the, the pain and the difficulty of fighting against these nations who are much more powerful than they are. But in this chapter, God tells them, look up. Look up. Rejoice. Your king is coming. Look at verse 9. This is just after he's been describing some of the nations round about. And then in chapter 9, <coughs> he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. God says to them, your king is on the way. Don't be disheartened. Rejoice. You don't need to be afraid. Your king is coming. But did you notice how the king was described? It says he is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. In other words, this king isn't coming on a war horse for battle. 
he's not coming at the head of troops to conquer merely, but he's coming to bring peace. Uh, when we think of donkeys nowadays, we tend to think of slightly foolish creatures. I think it's a bit unfair. I don't think donkeys are particularly foolish. Um, but that wasn't really what was associated with donkeys in the day when Zechariah was written. Uh, donkeys were ridden by kings, but what is being drawn attention to here is donkeys were not ridden into battle for obvious reasons. You wouldn't get very far very quickly on a donkey. Uh, you had war horses for that. If you were going to battle, you needed a big, strong war horse. But this king is coming peaceful on a donkey. He's coming to bring peace, not war. And that, of course, is the message of the angels, isn't it? The message we've been looking at in the morning uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, We read about the heavenly host, don't we? But we find it easy to forget that in the Bible, the heavenly host is the army of God. That's what it means. Uh, Look at it in the Old Testament. When you read about the heavenly host, you're reading about the army of God. And yet that army comes to the shepherds, and instead of coming to reap the land like a harvest, they come proclaiming peace on earth, goodwill to men. The message of Zechariah and the message of the angels is the same. There is a king coming, and he's coming to bring peace, not to judge, not to condemn yet, but to bring a message of salvation. Not a king on a war horse, but a king on a donkey, or as we might say, a baby in a manger. That is why Christ came into the world, and that's what we're celebrating at this time of year. But Zechariah doesn't stop there. Uh, So many people do. So many Christians do. And we sort of sit and we listen to the message of the baby in the manger and we think, isn't that nice? Isn't that sweet? And we have the little nativity scene which we put underneath our Christmas trees and our mantelpieces. But Zechariah isn't content with that. He's not content with the wonderful story of a humble king who is coming to bring peace. Because Zechariah knows that this news needs to have an effect in the lives of the hearers. It needs to have an effect in the lives of those who are listening, both those living in Judah at this time, but also us living today. Uh, the message of gospel is not just a, the message of the gospel is not just a nice story. It's something which lays a claim on us. We have to respond in a certain way. And we see how the people were told to respond in chapter 10. We didn't read these verses before, but I'll read them now. In Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, Zechariah says, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Zechariah says to the people, Because your king is coming, because God is providing your king, Therefore, you need to rely on him. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. Don't go running off other places. 
to try and achieve that same result, turn to me, look to me. And yet, the tragedy was, the people of Israel didn't listen to God's message. Uh, They heard about the king who was coming, but instead of bowing to that king, they went searching for other things. Look at verse 2 of chapter 10. It says, For the idols speak delusion, the diviners envisage lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. Judah at this time, they had this message of a king who was coming, God's Messiah who was promised from many centuries before. And yet they chose idols. They chose lies over the truth. They decided they didn't want a humble king, lowly, sitting on a donkey. They wanted something else. And Zechariah tries to teach them. He tries to say to them, don't trust false dreams. Uh, Don't trust false idols. They will not help you. Ask the Lord for rain. I want to ask all of us uh, here that question this evening as well. Uh, Do you trust in God's king? Uh, Do you trust in Christ? Or do you trust in other things? Where is your faith? Uh, When push comes to shove, what or who is your faith in? Is it in God? Is it in Christ? Or is it in idols? And to be clear, I'm not asking, uh, do you feel an affection for Jesus? Uh, Many people can feel affectionate towards Jesus when we see the pictures of the baby in the manger and the nativity scene and when we sing the carols. Uh, But faith is not a feeling of uh, of affection, uh, a feeling of comfort and joy. That's not what faith is. Um, I heard a story of a a seminary uh, professor uh, who, whenever he had a new class of students, he would hold up a jar full of beans, I assume jelly beans or something, and he would ask the students to guess how many beans were in the jar. And on a big pad of paper, he would write down what their estimates were, and he would have it on one side of a big sheet of paper. Uh, And when that list was complete, he would then ask them another question. And he asked them, what is your favorite song? And all the students next to their estimates, they would put what their favorite song was. So at the end, you'd have these two lists. One, a list of estimates of the number of beans in the jar. And another, a list of each of the students' favorite songs. And when both lists were complete, uh, the professor turned to the class and he said to them, what, or he told them, what the exact number of beans in that jar was. And they all examined who was the closest, uh, who had got closest to the real number of beans. But then the professor turned to the list on the other side of the list of favorite songs. And he asked them the same question. He said, which one of you is closest to the right answer. And the students protested, and they said, 
Well, there is no right answer. Uh, it's our favorite song. There's no right or wrong. Your favorite song is just your favorite song. Uh, it's a personal choice. It's a subjective thing. It's purely a matter of taste. But then the professor asked them another question. And he said to them, when you decide what to believe in terms of your faith, is it more like guessing the number of beans or more like choosing your favorite song? And do you know what he said? He said that always, from old students to young students, he'd get the same answer. Choosing one's faith is more like choosing your favorite song. That's what most of the students thought. And that is exactly the wrong answer. That is not what faith is. Faith is not a feeling and a subjective emotion we have where someone says, you know what, I feel like being Muslim. Uh, I'm attracted to Christianity, so I'll be a Christian. It's not a feeling we have. Faith in Christ is about staking your life on who Christ is, what he has said, and what he has done. Uh, faith says, or Christian faith says, I believe in Christ, therefore what he says and what he has done cannot be ignored. Uh, it's not a matter of, I feel like it. If it's true, it's true, and I have to deal with it. That's what true faith is. So let me ask you again this evening. Do you truly trust Christ? Uh, when push comes to shove, do you rely on Christ's words or do you rely merely on your own feelings, emotions, desires, inclinations? Or perhaps the desires and wishes of someone else other than Christ? Because that will reveal what your faith is truly in. In Judah at this time, the people demonstrated by their lives that they didn't truly trust God. They didn't trust him to provide their savior. They tried to make saviors of their own. And we can do exactly the same thing today. Uh, do you truly trust Christ's words? Now, to be absolutely clear, uh, of course, uh, in life, we have to trust many things, don't we? Uh, we trust the doctors to give us appropriate health care. Uh, we trust uh, the shopkeepers and the supermarkets to give us food which isn't going to kill us. And we go to the supermarket to provide our food. We don't just simply pray and ask for God to um, put on our, food, our tables all the food that we need. Uh, we need to work. We need to earn money. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is when push comes to shove, at the rock bottom, who do you rely on? Do you rely on these other things and ignore God? Or do you trust in these things all the while putting God in first place, knowing that all these other things, if you don't have God, will fail in the end. 
Uh, is God on the throne or is something else? Are you seeking help from everything else but God? Do you listen to Christ's commands? Are they the rule for your life or do you ignore them when they become inconvenient? That's what reveals what we're truly trusting in. And tragically, the people of Judah at this time, they weren't. They weren't listening to God. Uh, They heard the promises, but they trusted in anything but God. So what God decided to do was he decided to give them a living parable. This is where we come into chapter 10 now. And God chose Zechariah to be a living uh, theatrical picture, if you like, of what Israel or what Judah was being like in their relationship with God. And he tells Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 11 to play the role of a good shepherd, a shepherd who feeds the flock, a shepherd who doesn't run away when danger comes, but protects and nurtures his own flock. And that's what Zechariah does. You can read this in chapter 11, verses 7 onwards. Zechariah dresses himself in shepherd's garments, and he makes for himself two staffs. And one staff he calls beauty, and the other staff he calls bonds. Uh, That word beauty is the word for favor. Uh, It's what you feel when you see something pleasurable or uh, something which is good to see, pleasant. That's what the word means. It means favor. And it pictures God's favor on his people, his watching over and protecting the people. And that word bonds is the word for union, for uh, the word for an agreement to join two things together. That's what that word bonds means. And Zechariah goes, and we're told in verse 7 that he fed the flock for slaughter, in particular, the poor of the flock. What that means is God told him, the people aren't going to listen. They're not going to listen to you. You're going to feed them. You're going to look after them but they're not going to accept you. They are, as it were, a flock for slaughter. They're not going to listen to what you say. And sure enough, uh, that's what happened. Uh, Zechariah had opposition from other people in the land, probably the other rulers in Israel. Look at verse 8. It says, I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Uh, These were probably... uh, high-ranking officials, rulers in the land who hated Zechariah, and he didn't think much of them either, and he dismissed them. But nevertheless, the people would not listen to him. And as a result, they turned away. And we see the response from Zechariah in verse 9. He said, Then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die, and what is perishing perish. Let those that are left eat each other's flesh. And I took my staff beauty and cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I made with all peoples. And then later we find he breaks the other staff as well. In other words, God is saying through Zechariah, I'm no longer going to show favor on you. The protection I've given to you is going to be removed. Now I hope by now you've sort of twigged what Zechariah is doing uh, or what God is doing through Zechariah. Zechariah 
is acting out the ministry of Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah who is coming. Uh, Jesus came to shepherd his people, Israel. Uh, As we saw, he came to bring peace. Uh, He came to shepherd his people, Israel, and to bring joy and peace to the world. But what happened when he taught the people? Well, some listened to him, uh, the poorest and the weakest, but most of them hated him. They rejected him. They turned away from him. Uh, You remember how Jesus denounced the uh, work of the Pharisees and the priests and the Sadducees. They were the rulers. They were the shepherds of Israel when Jesus was in the land. And it's very likely that verse 8, where it says of Zechariah dismissing the three shepherds, is um, foretelling Christ's dealings with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the priests who were leading Israel astray, and Christ rebuked them. Uh, and looked after the sheep. Do you remember how he said he saw the, sheep, uh, the people on the hillside and they were like sheep without a shepherd? Of course, who can forget that Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey? And he did that deliberately in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, he came lowly on a donkey and he was screaming to the people, I am your king. I am the one who has been foretold. I am the one whom God says will save you. But what happened just a few days later? Uh, The people rejected him, and he was sold for just 30 pieces of silver. Did you notice again? Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 12. Zechariah said to those giving him his wages, he said, Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Going back in time to when Zechariah was acting out this parable uh, for God, uh, he asked for his wages. He says, I'm not going to feed the flock anymore. Uh, Give me my wages. And if you want to, if you're willing, give me my wages. And they pay him 30 pieces of silver. And the point here is that that was a pathetic amount of money. Uh, That was a feeble, that was an insult to pay just 30 pieces of silver. It would have been better to pay nothing at all than such a paltry, insulting figure. That is, of course, what Judas did when he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas decided that he would rather have 30 pieces of silver than the Son of God. That was the stupidity. That was the foolishness of Judas, but also all the people of that time as well who shouted, crucify him. They rejected Christ for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And on the whole, Israel reject him to this day. Not forever. I believe the Bible makes clear that one day They will turn to him. But the wonderful news for us is that offer which they rejected then is open to us today. That really is the message of Christmas. That same message which came to them 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's the same message that is proclaimed to us when those angels say to the shepherds, see the baby lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And we have exactly the same choice to make. How will we respond to this king? In Zechariah, you can see how the people then responded. But we have the choice today to respond differently. Instead of rejecting Christ, instead of ignoring Christ, instead of putting him to the outskirts and the edges of our life because other things have taken his place, 30 pieces of silver or whatever, we put him into the center and make him the king that he truly is. That, in essence, is the message of Zechariah. That's the message of the Old Testament. It's the message of the New Testament. Who do you trust? Do you rely on yourself? Do you rely on the things of this world? Or do you rely on the one God has given? That baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And I trust and I pray and I hope that all of us will be able to say, it's Christ. Christ is all. He is our king and no one else beside. And with those thoughts in mind, we're going to sing in closing uh, number six in our chorus sheets. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. So let's close by singing number six. (laughs) 